We are continuing our series of fish stories and flannel boards, a look at the story of the Bible, because all the stories of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation are one big story, God's story of saving his people. And today we get to see a story where God literally saves his people. And the story of Moses and the Israelites and the Exodus out of Egypt. Now we're only going to look at really kind of the beginning of Moses' life and his call to lead the, the, the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. And instead of trying to run you through, through that story very quickly, at least for me trying to do that, because you all know I don't do anything quickly, amen, we're going to watch a video like we did last week that gives, I think, a really good summary of this story. Deliverance. Once in a basket, now in the bag. Some people have questioned the validity of this historical event, the story of the Exodus. And while there's, there is lots of archaeological evidence, let me just give you one piece of evidence. And then I think in the next maybe month or so, we'll have another, we're having a movie night this, uh, the, March 28th, that's next Sunday night. And, and we're going to be watching a movie called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. It's a lot of fun, funny movie. Um, but also with a great message. And so I would invite families to come and watch that. Uh, The church will be providing popcorn and drinks. Uh, If you want some other snack, then you can bring that yourself. Um, But I think in the next several weeks, we'll offer a movie called Patterns of Evidence Exodus. And it gives lots of evidence about the Exodus and the validity of it in history. But let me just give you one piece of information here from this movie that I found very, um, uh, in, in my mind, very confirming and very interesting. So back in the Middle Kingdom of Egypt, there was a city called Avaris. And it was a settlement there just outside of Egypt or outside of uh, the main portion of Egypt. And, and what they found there in the city of Avaris is a settlement, a settlement of people who were not Egyptians. In fact, the houses that they found there are made after uh, Canaanite-type buildings, these, these Semite people who lived there who weren't Egyptian But who lived there, who were well off, there was a palace there built on top of an old home that was also built after the Canaanite type houses. And this this palace that is built um, housed someone very important. Just behind this palace, they found 12 graves with a... Um, a temple-like memorial to these 12 graves. Now, one of the graves weren't like the others or wasn't like the others. One of the graves is a pyramid. Now, as we know, only pharaohs, kings and queens, were buried in pyramids. This particular pyramid does not have a king in it, but one who was like a king. And in this pyramid tomb, they found a statue, a very large statue of this figure who has red hair and yellow skin. 
Now, giving a figure yellow skin was the way that the Egyptians would depict northerners, people from the north, people from the land of Canaan. He also had red hair, and if you remember, Jacob, it said that he was ruddy. He had red, no, that was, that was Esau, I'm sorry, but, but the, these brothers, they have red hair, so descendants would be thought to per, perhaps have red hair as well. The interesting thing about this pyramid tomb, another interesting thing I should say, is that the statue is depicted as having a coat with a multitude of colors. Now, nowhere else in Egypt have they ever found a statue depicted like that, whose who's the, the image or the person that it depicts has a coat of many colors. Now, we know someone, right, who had a coat of many colors. What was his name? Joseph, that's right. Now, you might say, well, hold on, Pastor Brian. Joseph, his brothers took his coat, put blood on it, gave it to his father. Yes, you are Correct, but years later we also know that Joseph was reunited with his brothers and with his fathers. And my assumption is that Jacob would have brought this coat back to Joseph, or at the very least, perhaps made another one for him. Yet another interesting fact is that there are no bones in this pyramid. Now, the argument might be made that, well, grave robbers came and took the bones, but grave robbers don't take bones. They take valuables. They take gold. In fact, because of superstitions, they are very afraid to take the bones of these high-ranking officials or pharaohs. They would leave the bones. They would take the valuables. The only reason bones would ever be removed from from a tomb is to honor them, those who would honor them. And what do we also know about Joseph? That he was buried in Egypt, but he gave the instructions that when his people would return to their homeland, they would take his bones with them. And that's exactly what the Israelites did when they left from the Exodus. They took Joseph's bones with them. A palace-like structure in a land where it was known that The Jewish people had settled. Joseph and his brothers had settled. In fact, this city of Avaris is under where the city of Ramses was built. And what do we know in the Bible? It says that the Israelites left the city of Ramses to go to Canaan. Now, you might argue, well, it says Ramses, not Avaris. Well, in Scripture, we have these rare occasions known as anachronisms. And that's where copyists, later copyists, who would be copying these manuscripts, would add minor details to give reference to modern readers. Just so you know where this is or why it happened or where it happened. And and we have an example of this in other places in Scripture. But one specific example is in Genesis chapter 47, verse 11. It says, Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Now, this is, when Joseph settles there, it is known historically hundreds of years before we even have this Pharaoh named Ramsey and the city named after him. And so yet an, uh, an example here of anachronism where in Genesis 47, they tell us they settle in this place and, and readers hundreds of years later would know, okay, that's where it was. 
it was where the city of Ramses now stands. And so when it says the Israelites left the city of Ramses, it could be this is the place where the city of Ramses will exist in the future. And because of this overwhelming evidence of this settlement found in Avaris that kind of ticks all the boxes for the Exodus story, this is just one historical piece of evidence out of many that this story is in fact true. Okay, I just I wanted to settle on that for a bit just to give you that piece of information and tease, if that was a tease, this movie, because that's, again, that's just one piece of evidence of many pieces that pulls it all together and, and in my mind, adequately confirms the story of the Exodus. In fact, I would say definitively proves it. So what's cool about this story of Exodus and where does it fit in the story, the big story? Well, as we've looked at, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's promise to them was to give them a people, to make a nation out of them and to give them this promised land of Canaan where Abraham originally settled. Remember, God called him out of Haran and said, I will take you to a place that I will show you. And God takes him to this place, which the big name is called Canaan, right? He settles there. He goes to Egypt for a few years because of famine, comes back. But this is the land that God promises to him and his descendants when, as of yet, he had no descendants. And now, in Exodus, we finally see God fulfilling this promise he made to Abraham. More than that, though, the story of Moses and the Exodus is the basic outline for the story of the gospel itself. And so as I take you through this outline today, please don't miss this gigantic, enormous point that this story of the Exodus is the foreshadowing, it is the shadows and types of what is to come through Jesus Christ as the deliverer. Amen? Moses is a deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer. And this story of the Exodus gives us an outline of the story of the gospel. My friends, it is for you and for me. And so don't miss the story today. Because the very same deliverance that was offered to the people in Egypt, the slaves in Egypt, is offered to us as well from the deliverer. And so let me give you that outline this morning. And as any good pastor would have, I have three points today. The first point is this. God's people were and still are in captivity. Now they were, right? They were in Egypt. Joseph takes his family to Egypt. He is prominent. He is respected. He is well-liked and well-known. And Pharaoh gives him this land. And what happens? Well, God begins to multiply his people just as he had promised Abraham he would do. Remember, just as the stars number in the sky, just as the sand numbers on the sea, the beach, so will be your descendants. And that begins to happen. Like bunnies, these people begin to multiply. One after the other after the other. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh takes notice and says, Hold on, these people are growing. They're prosperous. They're doing well. There's lots of them. If we let this keep happening, they're going to outnumber us. 
Now, I, I got ahead of myself here. Let's go back and read in Exodus, because I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses in chapter 1 and a few verses in chapter 2. Mike, I apologize. They do such a good job of keeping up with me, which is not easy to do. If you can and are willing, would you stand with me this morning in honor of God's word? Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, and then we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2. And coming off of our message from last week about the life of Joseph, we read this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store store cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now skip to chapter 2 and we'll look at verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when they saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Because why? Well, what I didn't read to you is that Pharaoh decides, listen, I've got to, I've got to eliminate, I've got to cut down their numbers. And so he tells the midwives, the firstborn son of every, or actually the son, if, 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 if an Israelite, a Hebrew woman gives birth and it's a male, kill him. And so they begin to slaughter these male babies, which will come back to haunt Pharaoh later. But Moses' mother concocts a plan to hide him away, to try to save the life of her son. She bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, whose name is Marion, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. You may be seated. Now let me, let me point out an interesting note to you here that that really is important. 
You'll, you'll notice here at the very end of that verse, verse 10, when Pharaoh's, when Pharaoh's daughter names this child, this baby, she names him Moses. Why? Because I drew him out of the water. The word Moses comes from this root verb. Um, I lost my place here. Masa. Masa. Which means to draw out. The interesting point, though, or the interesting thing about this is that she names him Moses, not Moza. And the, the form that that takes there, Moses, actually doesn't mean to draw out. It means drawer out or the one who draws out. The form that that word takes in his name actually means the one who draws out. He wasn't just the one who was drawn out. But later, he would be the one to draw out, to take the people of Israel, just as God said, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. Isn't that cool? All right, let's get back into our outline. God's people were, and they still are, in captivity. We see this here, right? They were in slavery. The Egyptians, the big bad powerhouse of that time, had them under their thumb. They were oppressed. They were in slavery. What were they going to do? In fact, it tells us here, as I read in chapter 1, that it was bad, right? The Egyptians, in verse 13, says they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as Slaves. This is some really great picturesque language that Moses uses here as he writes Exodus to describe the predicament of the Israelites. It was bad. That's the summary, right? They were in captivity and there was seemingly no hope, right? Pharaoh has made sure they can't escape. And he's now killing their children, right? Taking out the boys, making sure they can't reproduce, making sure they can't go on. You understand here, it is Pharaoh's desire to eradicate this people. How many times has this world throughout history sought to eradicate the Jews? One nation or one leader or another. God's people were in trouble. And let me tell you something today. As, as Moses and the Exodus is a, is a representation, an archetype, a foreshadow of the gospel, so Egypt acts as a foreshadow of sin and death, right? Just as Egypt held the Egyptians or, or the Israelites in slavery, so sin and death holds us all in its grips. And it seeks to eradicate us, right? Because Satan comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's right. To eradicate humanity altogether. From the very beginning, going back to the story of creation with Adam and Eve at the tree, when Satan says, surely God did not say. Now, what did God say? We know it. Eve knew it. Adam knew it. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely... Satan knew it. And what did he want? What did he want to happen to Adam and Eve? He wanted them to sin, but ultimately what? Die, that's right. He wanted them to sin so that they would die. 
That has been Satan's goal from the very beginning. To take us out. To eradicate us. It's what Pharaoh wanted to do to the Israelites. And it's what sin is trying to do to us to this very day. My friends, by sin we are all held captive apart from the Deliverer. But here's the cool fact. Point two, God cared and he still cares about our condition. Amen? God cares about our condition and he cared about theirs. Turn to Exodus chapter 2 verses 23 through 25. Do you have a heading in your Bible above these verses here? What What does your say? God hears Israel's groaning. Does anyone have anything else? That's what mine says too. Anything else? Okay. Because that's exactly what happens. Let me read it to you. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love that there. You remember back in the story of Adam and Eve, and I refer to this uh, often in my messages, where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, right? And that's a term of intimacy. That's not just they shook hands and said hello, right? They knew each other. God knew his children intimately at their heart level. He knew what they wanted. He knew what they needed. He knew their condition. And my friends, he cared so much so that he sends a deliverer. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 10. Then the Lord said, this is him speaking to Moses, through the burning bush, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Why? Because Moses was the deliverer. He was the one who draws out. God cared about their condition. And how how do we see this? We don't just see this in, in God coming to to Moses and saying, hey, go get my people out. I finally heard. I finally remembered. You get that, right? God's not saying, oh, yeah, I, I remember saying something to Abraham. What was that? I promised something. Oh, that you would have a lot of people uh, go to a land. Oh, yeah, I remember now. No, no, this doesn't mean that God just all of a sudden... Oh, yeah, I remember I said something. No, God knew all along, but God had a plan. And remember, we talked about last week how his plans, his destinations aren't always pleasant journeys. And sometimes the unpleasant journey is necessary to get us where we need to be, not just geographically, but spiritually. Where we need to be in our hearts, in our characters. And God had a plan to... Reveal his plan of Jesus 
redemption, the redemption story itself. And in their captivity, we see our captivity. In their need for a deliverer, we see our need for a deliverer. And in how God cared about them, we see that God cares about us. And we see it all throughout this story in God's sovereignty because it's seen all over the place, right? How many hundreds, thousands of, of Hebrew children died as Pharaoh tried to eradicate the Israelites? Who knows how many died, but we know it was a lot, right? Now, we do know that God spared many of the children because the Hebrew, the Hebrew midwives wouldn't kill the children. They would say that, well, the mother had the baby before we got there. She was too fast. Many were spared, but many were killed. And, and Moses could have been another one of those statistics. But God had a plan to bring a deliverer. God had a plan to use the life of Moses in a mighty way. And so he spared the life of Moses. Did some pretty coincidental, if you believe in coincidence, which I don't. But seemingly coincidental things in the life of Moses. He allows Moses to be hid away for three months. Then his mom puts him into a basket, a wicker basket, which may or may not float. Dude Perfect. Who's watched Dude Perfect? Okay, good. Man, I'm surprised I don't see more hands. You should watch Dude Perfect. Dude Perfect did this competition, as they do often. And and the guys on Dude Perfect, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and look it up. It's these guys who live in Texas who uh, are believers. They room together and they built this, what would you call it? This, this YouTube channel, but it's more than that now. I mean, it's, they are a franchise, a, not a franchise, that's not a word, a kingdom that they've amassed uh, followers and money, uh, and God has blessed them. That's not a part of the story. So, dude, perfect. They had this competition. They were going to build a floating device to cross a pond, and whoever could cross the fastest won. But they had to build their own floating device. These guys, these are college graduates, smart guys. Several of their contraptions did not float, did not go, sank to the bottom. And so it was very likely that this whole basket filled with holes, she put mortar and pitch around it, it could have sunk, right? Moses could have drowned. Or as it's going down the Nile, floating along, maybe going through some rapids, it could have tipped over. Now, what animals do we know live in the Nile? Dangerous animals. That's right. Crocodiles, alligators. I'm not sure. Does the Nile have crocodiles or alligators? Or both? Crocodiles. There we go. Okay. And they're meaner than alligators, right? They're ornery because of their enlarged Abdullah, Madula oblongatas. <laughs> or, or because they have so many teeth. That's what Bobby said. Or it's actually what Mama said, but whew, I'm getting way off here. Bring me back, Lord. Deliver me. There were crocodiles that could have ate Moses. And, 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 and you know, the Nile, what do we know about the Nile? It's a very long river, right? He could have just kept floating and floating and floating and floating. But who finds Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. 
Probably the one person in the entire kingdom that could save the life of this male Hebrew. Because Pharaoh, the most powerful man probably on the earth at that time, who's the one person that could manipulate and control him? His baby girl. Wrapped around her finger. Dads, amen? Yeah? Daddy, please, can I keep him? Can I keep him? I'll feed him. I'll take care of him. Which she didn't. She pawned that off to somebody else, right? But that's okay because Moses' mom got to raise her own child and she got paid for it. Moms don't get any ideas. <laughs> Do you see the work of God in the life of Moses? So many cool things. Okay, third and last point. They were in trouble. God cared about their predicament. And so God provided a deliverer. God provided a deliverer. Now, Moses wasn't perfect, right? That's what we've seen throughout all these, the lives of all these people we've looked at so far. They were all messed up, imperfect. And Moses was a murderer, right? He took the law into his own hands. He saw a couple of his Hebrew brothers being mistreated. And so he killed the slave master, the, the, the guard that was guarding them, who was beating them. He's a murderer. And he flees. He flees Egypt. He hides in Midian. He marries a woman there, has a family, thinks it's all over, thinks it's all done. Until God comes to him in a burning bush. Because God always intended to provide a deliverer. God never forgot about his people. He never forgot about their predicament. He was never unaware of what they were going through. No, he always cared and he always had a plan. It took longer than some of them would have hoped for, would have wanted. But God had a plan to send a deliverer. And so he comes to Moses at the bush. He saves his life. He brings him to Pharaoh's daughter. He raise, she raises him in this house of Pharaoh, a son of Pharaoh, who would be taught in, in academics, in leadership. And then God takes him into the wilderness for 40 years to learn humility to learn relationship with God, dependence and trust. Moses wasn't perfect. He didn't feel adequate. And yet God called him all the same. Now the cool thing is, though Moses was a deliverer, there would come one after him who was like him, but wholly unlike him, Jesus Christ, the deliverer, and he was perfect in every way. So, God provided a deliverer once in a basket. He provided by delivering Moses so that he could deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. Once in a basket. But my friends, I'm telling you now, through Jesus Christ, it's in the bag. It is absolutely, for sure, without question, available to you. It is in the the bag, deliverance. Moses provided once, and yet the people messed up, and so they wandered in the wilderness. We're going to look at that some in the next couple of weeks. Actually, 
Next week, we'll look at the Passover. We'll miss a few weeks because of Easter and a few other things. Then we'll get back to it. But the deliverance of Moses wasn't perfect. It wasn't eternal. It didn't last. But the deliverance that Jesus brings is eternal. It does last. Moses is the one through whom the first imperfect covenant through the law came. And Jesus is the one through whom the second perfect covenant of grace comes to all. And it is eternal. Now let me tell you something about this, about Moses. And it's actually some commentary from, from Stephen, the first deacon in Acts. I say the first deacon, he's the first martyr. He was a deacon, he's the first martyr. Turn to Acts chapter 7 with me if you will. Starting in verse 17, he starts talking about Moses. Now, Stephen is preaching here, and and he's telling the Jewish leaders that they have rejected God's prophets, God's men, God's deliverers throughout history. Those that God would want to speak to them through, they have rejected them. Therefore, they have rejected God's word altogether because he's coming to the conclusion that you have rejected Christ himself, the Messiah. And he's building this case. And in verse 17, he starts talking about Moses. At the time of the promise, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. We know the story. They were enslaved. Verse 20, at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now listen to this, verse 25. This is really huge because God's word always interprets God's word. We use God's word to interpret itself. When we don't quite understand something, there's often either the rest of the passage or another verse somewhere that gives us insight into that verse. And this is what Stephen does here. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's something really fascinating here. Verse 25, he supposed, assumed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by or through his hand. But they did not understand. Do do you hear this? Do do you hear the implications of this? The, The children of Israel probably, maybe, could have been delivered 40 years earlier than they were. Because Moses went out, he was trained, he was strong. What What do we see here in verse 22? He was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Now, fast forward to the uh, to, to the burning bush, what is Moses' excuse to God? You remember what it was? Jeez, God, I don't talk so good. And yet here we find 40 years earlier, he was mighty in words and deed. And, and, and Stephen gives us an insight into the story, into the background, that, that perhaps God would have delivered them 40 years sooner than what happened because Moses was ready to go. He was ready to lead them out of Egypt, ready to take on Pharaoh. He was ideal. He was strong. He, he was courageous. 
but he was rejected. And not only did these two Israelites postpone their deliverance, they discouraged Moses to the point where when God finally said, okay, it's time to go back, he was unwilling and unprepared and without any confidence in what God could do through him. Do you feel that inside you right now? Do you feel the heartache of that? What, what, what all of Israel missed out on? Because they didn't get it. It says they did not understand in verse 25. I wonder if we understand. My friend, I wonder if you understand what Jesus did for you. When Moses dies, at the end of Deuteronomy, we find that God gives Moses a funeral. God himself, no one else buries the bones of Moses. God does because he doesn't want anyone to know where the bones of Moses are because I believe God is, is concerned that his people will take these bones and worship them, make an idol out of them. So let me tell you today, the bones of Moses cannot be found because we don't know where they are. Acts 7, 37, I go back here. Listen to this. Stephen again speaking. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. I've already said it. There would be another prophet to come, another like him, a second Moses, if you will, who would deliver his people. And though the one to come would be like Moses, yet he would be wholly unlike Moses because he would be perfect in every way. And he could atone for the sins of his people forever and always and deliver them. His deliverance would be eternal in heaven. And as we sang today... The resurrected king is resurrecting me. We cannot find the bones of Moses because his bones cannot be found because God buried them somewhere that we are not aware of. But I'm telling you this, the bones of Jesus cannot be found and not because we do not know where he is buried, but because he is no longer buried. He is risen from the dead. He is alive and the resurrecting king is ready to resurrect and deliver you. Do you believe that this morning? Yesterday, I went to a graveside service, a funeral for Patrick DeYoung. We had shared last week that Glenda Blevins' son had passed away. His name's Patrick. Patrick wasn't perfect like none of us, or like all of us, right? None of us are perfect. We've all messed up. Patrick wasn't perfect, and Patrick had never... Patrick wasn't sure he was a believer. Glenda wasn't sure he was a believer. He had grown up in church. He had made a decision when he was younger, but he had ran from God. And he had lived far away from God for many years. Glenda had me come over on two occasions and speak with Patrick. The first time I got to have a conversation with him, share the gospel with him. And and at that point, he just wasn't ready to commit to it. The second time, I just got to pray with him because he wasn't conscious, conscious because of the medication. 
But Glenda shared this story that on the Monday before he passed away at 3 a.m., he called her into his room and she began to talk with him about the gospel. And on that night, he cried out to Jesus. Now, one of his concerns, and I appreciate his honesty, that it wouldn't be some kind of jailhouse uh, salvation where just because he was in trouble, right? And the whole coming to Jesus at the 11th hour is something he struggled with. It can't be real. Well, Jesus tells us in a parable that he tells about workers in a field and the ones who went out at the very end of the day got the same reward, the same wage as those who went out at the beginning. Because it's always and only about what we do with Jesus, about whether we trust him or not, no matter when we do it, if we still have breath in our lungs, Jesus is still ready and willing to deliver us. He's ready and willing to deliver you. My friend, if you have waited your entire life and you think there's no hope for me, there's no chance for me, I, I, I just want to remind you that God knows you are in captivity and make no mistake, you are in captivity to sin and death. But there is a deliverer who cares about you and is ready and willing to lead you into the promised land of his grace and mercy and goodness. And he's ready to do it today. Now, Patrick waited to the 11th hour. You don't have to wait. In fact, I would beg you, don't wait. The blessing that God gave to Patrick was that Patrick knew his death was imminent and coming soon. And God gave him time to make that 11th hour decision. My friends, you may not have that time. If you've never come to Jesus, if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you might be driving home today, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you reality. You may be driving home today, and and you get broadsided by a semi, and that's it. You're done. And there's no more chances. There's no more opportunities, except for right now. God is still giving you a chance to know him as the deliverer, the resurrected king who is ready and willing and wanting to resurrect you. Oh, this morning, would you come and talk to me if that is you? If you know in your heart, he's talking to me right now. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Come today. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses, who was a deliverer, who you delivered in a basket so that you could deliver through him your people. And though once it was in a basket, God, I praise you that because Jesus came, your God in flesh, coming to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place, and rose again three days later, defeating sin and death forever. Deliverance for all who would trust in Jesus is in the bag. Oh God, thank you for that. And I pray, oh God, that right now you would bug the person's heart who's hearing right now and knows that they need to come to you for deliverance. Don't give them rest until they turn to you. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's, his, it's in his wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen and amen.